some of the staff got away for a couple of day staff retreat, I don't know, a week, week and a half ago, and the goal was just, okay, how do we refresh our vision? Like, what's, what's next? What does God have for us? Um, and so Chris already had planned what God had for us. We were going to show up, and, you know, Mike has done an awesome job. Our discipleship ministry is really making, getting traction and moving forward. So we're going to show up and figure out evangelism. Right? That's, that's what this is about. Well, we got there, and individually in our lives, but also our sense for what God had for the church kind of turned. And yes, evangelism was part of, you know, the next phase, but it wasn't at all the central theme of what we talked about. It was something really different, something kind of surprising, and maybe along the same lines. Um, it's been nice this summer. There's been some guys that have gotten to preach and uh, encouragement from everyday saints, but it's been nice to step out of the grind because Sundays come every seven days as a pastor, and so every seven days there has to be a five-page, six-page manuscript in front of me. Every Sunday there has to be a sermon. Every Sunday there has to be a fresh word. And so, you know, just find, finding my own self getting into this, this rut, this, this, you know, getting out of some of the healthy spiritual habits, finding myself just, just kind of going through the motions, right? And, and so, like, this nice kind of just a reset, just, just to have a little bit of time where it's not quite so go. And so, uh, that's been nice, but you might think, like, what do these two things have in common, right? And maybe you found yourself in that place. You, you know, you, you're in a season with, with kids, and that season is just grinding. You, you get into a season with school, and, and it's just one of those semesters that gets over the top of you. Or you find you're just kind of wearing out a little bit. And, like, we get to these places where spiritually our lives just get into a rut. And, and, and it seems like it's really hard to get out. Right, once we get there, it feels, feels really stuck, and it feels like it lasts forever. And right? it doesn't, but it feels that way. And so what does all this have in common, right? What is this, like, refreshed vision <clears throat> for the church? What is, what is, like, you know, falling into a rut? What does that have in common? Well, I think it was pointing to, like, the exact same, I don't know that remedy is the right word, but the exact same focus of what's ahead. And that focus was that we get a fresh vision of Christ that leads to a fresh treasuring of Christ, right? That we get a fresh vision of Christ that leads to a fresh treasuring of Christ. And, and, and it probably shows up as we get into this, right? It probably doesn't show up in a catastrophic meltdown of your whole family, right? That happens, but that's probably not what happens. It probably just feels a lot more like apathy than anything else. A lot more like uh, doing, going through the motions of life, going through the motions with God, going through the motions with your family or with your friends. It probably feels more like that than, than anything else. And it just feels to me like we, we, you know, we've filled our heads so much. But have we filled our heads with empty hearts? Or we've been really busy, like our hands are busy with with. You know, good things. Our hands are busy with service. Our hands are busy with our family. But are our hands busy with empty hearts? Christ is the supreme treasure of the universe. And I want to invite you, because I need the same invitation, to treasure Christ supremely. So please treasure Christ with me. And here's the problem with that. Here's the problem. I can't will myself into treasuring Christ. 
Oh, I wish I could. Like just work up enough inner resolve that I'm going to treasure Jesus today. Right? I, I can't do more and make it happen and strive to treasure Christ. Now, yes, there's healthy habits that, that do help us uh, in seeing Christ. But, man, I just can't work myself into treasuring Jesus. It requires God breaking into our lives, opening up our eyes, and doing something radical within us. And so today's passage is a teaching passage. But as as you can see in the notes, I'm I'm changing it from a teaching point into a prayer point. Because everything that this passage sets before our gaze as precious is something that we need God to do inside of us. And so today is going to be a plea from me. It's going to be a prayer for me. It's going to be a prayer for you um, as, as we go through it as a backdrop. And so it's a plea that we would treasure Christ again. It's a plea that God would enlarge our hearts to run the course of his commandments. It's a plea that God would enlarge our hearts to find our delight and our treasure in Jesus again, to open up our eyes of our hearts to see it. So that's going to be my prayer for you. I hope it will be a prayer that you add to your prayer list for me. Uh, So Philippians 3, 7 through 16. But whatever gain I had, I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now it is not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But those who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you also. Only let us tr- hold true to what we've attained. Let's pray. Father, we've just declared we're going to wait for you. We're going to actively engage our hearts to wait. God, because if you don't show up, if you don't show yourself, we won't find you. We won't experience you. We won't taste and see that you are good. And so, God, we wait. Open the eyes of our heart. We wait. Revive us again. We wait. Would you show us the beauty and the treasure and the glory and the majesty that is in your son, Jesus Christ, that surpassing worth of knowing him, the unsearchable riches that are found in him. Would you just show us another glimpse We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a pastor's prayer that we treasure Christ. 
In a pastor's prayer that we treasure Christ, our first part of this prayer, may the Holy Spirit instill a new value system for our lives. May the Holy Spirit instill a new value system for our lives. There's a thing that is true that we don't often think about. We always do what we love. Might say we do what we value or do what we treasure. Those are interchangeable. We do what we love. And so what we love determines our priorities, and our priorities determine what we do, and so we always ultimately do what we love. Now, yes, there are some things you have to do because, you know, it just takes it to live, but by and large, even those things further what you love, what you value, what you want, right? We do what we love, and there's a huge, huge problem with that truth. We have a very jacked up system of accounting in our lives to where we put high value on things that don't matter, high value on things that destroy us, high values on things that waste our time and waste our lives, and we put very low value on things that are ultimate and things that are ultimately important and things that are eternal. And so we have this completely reversed value system of our life, right? We value what a bunch of people on social media think about us that we will never meet and don't really shouldn't give a rip what they think about us. Like we value our status before a group of people that we may never know. We value our, our reputation, not in the good sense of I want to, to create a reputation that can be respected, but in the, in the negative sense of we value our image and our appearance before other people. And does it matter, right? We, we value the stuff that we can accumulate. We value money. We value all the toys that we can do. We value travel and leisure and comfort. We value our hobbies. We value our kids' travel ball teams. We value playing around with sexual relationships or dating relationships. We value the wrong stuff. Now, some of them are object, abjectly sinful, right? But most of them aren't. Most of them look like your really good neighbor. Most of them look like the really amazing people that work with you, that you love to hang around with, and your value system looks just like theirs. So, so we don't realize how messed up it is because everybody else has the same. And they're good people, and they're nice people. And so we have this completely reversed value system that looks like everybody around us, but it works because it's not all sinful and bad. It's just wrongly ordered and we desperately need the Holy Spirit to recalibrate the value system of our lives we desperately need the Holy Spirit to show us what really matters and what really is important and and to treasure Christ in such a way that he becomes the supreme treasure and that the other treasures of our lives find their rightful place under him And there might be some really good things in your life you need to repent of because you've placed ultimate value on them instead of ultimate value on Christ. Right? And so our value system is all completely messed up and we need the Holy Spirit to radically recalculate our lives. We need moments like the parables Jesus told where there's a guy digging in the field and he comes across a treasure and then he covers the treasure back up and the text says, with joy, he went and sold everything that he owned to buy the field and possess the treasure. Or there was a pearl merchant who saw a pearl of great price and he sold everything he had to buy the pearl. 
And we need the Holy Spirit to recalculate the value system of our life so that knowing Christ and having Christ is a treasure that we would so joyfully possess that whatever else it costs, there's a greater joy because we get him. And that's something that God would have to do in us. So God, give us a treasuring joy for Jesus. Let's jump into the text and look at it. He's writing this passage, if you were to go back earlier in the chapter, he's writing this passage against a group of people who put confidence in the flesh. That is, they trust something about themselves to be good with God, right? And so they trust their ethnicity to be good with God. They're Hebrews of the Hebrews. They trust their political party to be good with God, Pharisees. They trust their religious works to be good with God. They trust their religious rituals to be good with God. They trust that they're in the right religion, they're in the right politics, they're in the right ethnicity, they're in the right job, and so they're good. But Paul says that's not Christians and that's not him. Christians are those who worship God and have no confidence in themselves. And he goes through and he's like, hey, if you want to compare fleshly resumes, I've got all that stuff down. But look what he says as we move into our passage. He, he switches to imagery that uses accounting words. And so there's gain, that's profit, that's good if you have a business, right? And then there's loss, right? That's bad, you're losing Money And so he goes into this gain system, and he's, he's like, all this stuff, I, I, I used to think it was gain. All the stuff that was gain to me, right? I was like of the purest Jewish heritage, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was one of the good tribes, not one of the bad tribes. I, 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 I had the right job as a professor of Judaism, and I was a rising star with a great reputation known far and wide for how much I was excelling in, in my Phariseeism. And man, I kept the law better than anybody. Gain, profit. I was doing great. And then look what he says. Everything that used to be profit to me, I now have switched it in the ledger. It's now lost to me. It's a detriment to me. It's not just neutral. It's destructive to me because it might tempt me to trust me and not him. And so what in the world? I was thinking like of, of a balance scale, right? And so I was thinking, what on earth could possibly take all the gain that Paul had, right? He had a comfortable life. He is a professor. He had respect and esteem and reputation and religion. He had all the stuff. What is it possibly that could be so weighty and so valuable that to make that feel like dust on a scale and collapse the scale in the other direction? What could possibly be that valuable? And he tells us, all that I thought was gain, I have accounted it now as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. To know Christ, to, to have Christ, to be forgiven by Christ, to be adopted to God by Christ, to be a co-heir of all that is in eternity because of Christ. For the sake of Christ, everything else is loss. And then he expands on the idea in the next line. I've, I've counted everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It is so infinitely valuable to know Jesus that everything that gets in the way of knowing Jesus is a detriment to my life. And to know Jesus is so rich a treasure that nothing compares to it. Right? 
everything, losing everything, if I get Christ, losing everything, if I know Christ in the surpassing worth of him, it's worth it. It's worth it. Christ is worth more than anything in your life. He's worth more than anything in your life. But he doesn't stop there, right? It, he, he's worth more than everything in your life combined. It's not like Jesus is just the most valuable thing of all the valuable things. It's that Christ is so valuable, he's more valuable than everything that you could put together. Everything that you could put together. Right? He's better than your name and your reputation. He's better than your status. He's better than your image. He's better than the number of followers you have and the number of likes that you get and the number of hearts that float up on your post. He is better than being TikTok famous, believe it or not. Right? He is better than the accomplishments you can have in the business world or the, the professional world. He is better than everything. He is better than playing around with intimate physical relationships. and He's better than having a companion. And underneath the greatness and the worth of who he is, he gives these other things that are wonderful gifts when they're rightly ordered under him. I count everything as loss for the worth of knowing Christ. And you know what, for Paul, this is not academic to him. Do you see the next line? This wasn't something that Paul was writing down like, you know, when, when, when a major company shows like a $5 billion loss that's on paper. They didn't, they didn't really lose that. They'll get it back the next time, or they wrote it into some other column, right? I have suffered the loss of all things. When I say Christ is worth more than everything, I put it to the test because I lost everything. I lost my reputation. I lost my comfort. Instead of my claim to fame being a professor with a nice, cushy life, sorry if you're professors out there, right? But instead of being professors with this nice, cushy life where everybody looks up to you and stars in their eyes of how amazingly brilliant you are, that was Paul. I get to count among my great resumes. I've been shipwrecked and floated around in the ocean for days. I've been beaten three or four times. I've had snakes bite me, right? And I have agony for the churches, I've lost everything. And so when I say Christ is worth everything, I mean it. I mean it. And look what he says, I've counted everything as loss that I may gain Christ. Everything is lost that I may gain Christ. Not having a righteousness that come, that's of my own that comes from the law, right? Not having a works-based righteousness. Not having a religious-based righteousness or doing religious stuff righteousness or being a good person righteousness. Not a righteousness that I can work up from within myself. But a faith righteousness. Right? That I have right standing with God. I have right relationship with God. I am declared righteous not by what I do. Not by how much I treasure Jesus even. I have a right standing with God. I have a right relationship with God. And I am declared righteous by God. Purely on the basis of faith. Faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. See, we're born dead in our sins and trespasses. And you will never meet a human being on earth who is not trying to atone for their sins. You will never meet a human being on earth that is not trying to work their way 
to God. Now, it may not be the true God. They may have a different God that they're working their way to, but they have something that, that requires them to make themselves good or make themselves seem good or make themselves right or make themselves seem right. Even the atheist is trying to justify himself in some way, right? Mainly by trying to erase God. Well, why are you so concerned with something that doesn't exist, right? If it's that big a deal. And so, like, we're all trying to work our way back to God. And you can't do it. You can't do it by being Baptist. You can't do it by being another denomination. You can't do it by going to church a whole, whole bunch. You can't do it by going to Sunday school. You can't do it by being part of a microgroup. You can't do it by working in the children's building. You should work in the children's building, by the way, right? But you can't get to heaven that way. You can get closer, right? We'll, 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 sell, you, we'll sell you an indulgence, right, if you, if you do that for us. No, just kidding. Erase that, right? You can't work your way there. You know how you can get there? Through faith in Jesus Christ who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross for your sins and the sins of the whole world, and who God raised from the dead by his glory and now offers to raise you from the dead as well. There is a righteousness that comes by faith. There is a right standing with God no matter what you have done or what you have been, no matter how good or how bad. There is a right standing welcoming to God's presence as a dearly loved child for all who come by faith in Jesus Christ. That's amazing news, isn't it? But that's not what excites Paul. Do you see that in the text? As amazing as faith righteousness is, that's not the gain. Look back a few lines. Everything is lost that I may gain Christ. I gain a person, a real living person named Jesus. And yes, it requires righteousness to get there. And yes, he offers righteousness, and that's really amazing. But I get Jesus, and that's the goal. To have him is to have gain. To have, to have Christ is to have treasure. And so, God, would you show us the surpassing worth of Christ? Would you open our eyes to what is truly and supremely valuable? So bright a treasure that everything else pales in its comparison to him. Would you show us that, God? So worthy that everything else bows to him. And so, give us your eyes, God, to see what truly is treasure and then live like it's treasure. And so the Holy Spirit's got to instill a new value system in us. Second, may the Holy Spirit birth in us a desire to know Christ deeply by experience. May the Holy Spirit birth in us a desire to know Christ deeply by experience. Um, and so Amy and I know this guy. He's really famous. His name is Chris Hemsworth. Anybody else know him? It's Thor, right? <laughs> Come on, people. Don't be lying in church. We know him. I've seen all the Avengers movies. She's seen like parts of most of them. But she knows Chris Hemsworth. Like, can see his face, know his face, seen him act, seen the movies he's in. We know him. You know, she also and we also know this guy named Chris Harris. Maybe some of you do as well. Buddies with him for 10 years, right? He's been in our house countless times. We've been in his house. We're friends. We've known each other. We've sat around. We've swapped stories. We even stayed at his place for days on end up in Peru back when they were there. No, Chris Harris. 
And then Amy knows this guy named Chris Fowler. She's been married to him for 23 years, almost 24, coming up in, in August. Hopefully increasingly getting to know each other, but she knows Chris Fowler. When we think about knowing Christ, how do you know Christ? Do you know him like somebody in a distance that you've watched on a TV screen and learned information about, and you know some facts about their, their biography and some facts about them, but they're, they're way out there and you've observed them? Is that how you know Jesus? Maybe it's not that. Maybe Jesus is a buddy, and you've gotten to know him okay over the years, and, and, and you've spent more time with him over the years, and you, you got a pretty decent relationship with him over the years, and it's been great to, to have Jesus but you know, the things about buddies is you get to set the confines on what they can ask of you, and you get to set the parameters of how much time you spend with them or don't spend with them. You get to dictate how far the relationship goes or how, how little the relationship goes, because with buddies, you get to set all the rules together. You get to set the rules of how it's going to be. Or do we long to know Jesus like a lifelong companion who gets commanding rights over us, who gets to make demands on us, who, who, who we long to know and have a deeper and deeper knowledge of, an intimate and more intimate knowledge of, to abide in. How do we know Jesus? Do we just want to observe him from afar, or do we long to be next to him, to abide in him and, and, and bear much fruit? It's really safe to stay friends with Jesus. It's really safe to do the distance thing. It's kind of terrifying a little bit if I'm going to bind myself to him in a way that is lifelong and intimate and abiding and commanding. But don't we long, or don't we want to long for that kind of thing? It's going to take a radical work of God. It's going to take a radical work of the Holy Spirit for us to long to know Jesus by experience, to long to know Jesus deeply and intimately forever. That's what Paul longs for. That's what I'm longing for. It's what I want for you, and it's what I want for me. Let's look at it. And so we get the second that. Right? Um, that I may know him. Right? So the first one was, I, I count everything as loss, that I may gain Christ. The second one, I count everything as loss. That I may know Christ, that I may know him. Now, look, he does not say, I want to know about Jesus. He says, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the real person named Jesus, the living person named Jesus. I want to know him in relationship and, and depth. And you think about, or, or you set up the, the word know, uh, this word for know, is the word to know something deeply, to know something with perception and understanding, or to know something by experience, right? It is not simply knowing a fact that is out there. It is knowing something uh, deeply and, and in a relational way, right? And so I want to know Jesus deeply. I want to experience Jesus. And you think about this. Paul's a pretty good long way along the road of following Jesus. Paul's a good way along the roads of knowing about Jesus, of having encounters with Jesus, of seeing Jesus' miracles, of seeing Jesus do amazing works in his life. He is a long way down the road. 
And yet, what is his deep desire today, after all those years? I want to know Jesus more by experience. That was his longing. And I know him, I want to know him more. I've tasted, I want to taste more. I've experienced, I want to experience more. And so everything's lost. If it gets in the way of knowing Jesus more deeply, of encountering Jesus regularly in my life, of going deeper with Jesus, not in my knowledge of bare theological facts, though I want to grow in my knowledge of facts about Jesus, but growing in the depth of relationship of this person, Jesus, encountering a living union with him. I want to know, I want to know him. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. Paul has done some powerful things in his life. He has raised people from the dead. Right? The lady fell out of a window at his preaching. Right? He put somebody to sleep. So I'm in good company. Raise them from the dead. Right? He has seen miracles done all over the place. And what does he say? I want to experience resurrection power as a part of my life. I want more of Jesus' resurrection power to make me like Jesus. I want more of Jesus' resurrection power to unite me to Jesus. I want more of Jesus' resurrection power to make a difference in the world around me. I want more of Jesus' resurrection power to make me more holy than I am today. I want to know the power of the resurrection in my life. This was the same prayer he prayed in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. And I'm going to skip down to, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. What Paul wants is to taste a deeper taste of the resurrection, spiritual power of God. And you think about it, how much of our Christianity is totally powerless? And yet there's this prayer of Paul that is going to take a work of God in your life, by the Holy Spirit in your life, in order for you to see immeasurable power towards us who believe, towards you who believe. And so how can we live powerless lives when Paul and the Holy Spirit want to work to, to show the power of God in your life if you believe. And so Paul's prayer and longing, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of Jesus in my own life and in my ministry to others. And then look, he doesn't stop there. And that I may share in his sufferings. He wants to be so fully united to Jesus that he experiences the triumphs and power of Jesus but also so fully united to Jesus that he bears the suffering of Jesus as well. That suffering would be part of the transformative process in his life to make him like Jesus. Because let's be honest, right? Because this is the part of longing I would leave out. I want to know the power of the resurrection, yes. I want to know Jesus, yes. Can we erase the line about suffering? No. Because let's be honest. The great seasons of your spiritual growth were not seasons where everything was comfortable. They weren't seasons where everything was easy. They weren't seasons where you had plenty and everything was going exactly the way it was supposed to go. Rarely is that where leaps and bounds of faith come in. Oftentimes faith is forged in the very fires of affliction. Right? Because it is afflictions that wean us off of our love affair of this world and they deposit treasure up there that makes us long for up there more. 
right? And, and, and suffering has a tendency to, to kill some things in our life like that. Suffering has a tendency to draw us near to Christ. Suffering tends to throw us in dependence on Christ, and we have to live with this greater dependence. And so I want to know all of it. I want to be so identified with Jesus that I know him in his triumph, and I know him in his suffering. I want to know Jesus like that. I want to treasure Jesus like that. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God. Blessed are those who hunger, starving and thirsting for the righteousness of Christ. Abide in me. You'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As newborn babes desire the pure spiritual milk that you may grow thereby, if, if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. That seems so far from our experience, doesn't it? Your word is my delight. It's better than gold, much fine gold, sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. That seems so far from our experience. This idea of, of delight and enrapture and treasure and intimacy, right? It's almost like that was for <clears throat> people in the Bible, and that is for the super spiritual. That's for the, there's a certain kind of people that those verses are for. And we live that way. Maybe we've even resigned ourselves to believing that. But it's not true. All of those verses are written for you. They're written for me. They're written to be part of our experience with God, right? And so it's a prayer for myself, and it's a prayer for you. God, we want to know Jesus more. We want to be the deer that, that, that or we want to be the soul that thirsts for Jesus the way a deer in the desert longs to find some brook somewhere to drink out of. We want to be those who have tasted the Lord is good so that we yearn for more. And we need the work of God to make us yearn for that in a way that we truly desire it and truly pursue it. And so God, God, would you give us, would you give birth to us a fresh desire to know Jesus, to really know Jesus, not on a screen somewhere, but right here in our lives, day in and day out. The last step, may the Holy Spirit give us resolve to press on until the final reward. May the Holy Spirit give us resolve to press on until the, to the, until the final reward. Uh, in seminary, I don't remember a ton of things, but there's these moments I remember. And so one of the classes we took was pastoral ministry, which was just kind of the practical stuff. Here's how you do this, and here's how you do that, and here's some things to look for and all that stuff. And so I remember in one of the classes, it was talking about the life cycles of ministry. And so, you know, you're young and, and, and you're on fire and growing and then you're, you're, you're establishing and creating something and then you get to, you know, your late 40s and 50s and, and you enter this phase of coasting. And I forget the word they used and the analogies they used, but it was coasting, it was neutral. And I just remember how repulsive a thought it was to me as a probably 30-something, 20-something person sitting in that class how repulsive is it to be a follower of Jesus who gets to serve Jesus who coasts on Jesus for 10 years with a group of people because you you, you know you did something you know 10 or 20 years before that I'm like that's disgusting to me well you know I've reached the back half of the 40s 
And uh, it still disgusts me. But if you've noticed, like the church, we've seen so much progress. It took a lot of pushing, a lot of work, and a lot of output to get there. But man, such a good place, right? There's amazing people that we love being around, right? And there's a lot of y'all, right? That, praise God. We've got plenty of money. Just We're in a great place with a great bunch of people, but it took a lot to get there. And, you know, we've had some challenges along the way, and each one kind of takes a bucket of your emotional reserves out, and that's happened along the way. And so you get to this place, or you're in your back half of your 40s, where I am, and I, I just want to sit down for a minute and, and, and watch it. And the thought still disgusts me. But it's where I found myself spiritually, and maybe you have as well, right? Maybe you're in that season with your kids where it just grinds you. Maybe you're, maybe you're in that place where you're, you're aging and you're getting up there and you're like, man, I just don't have the energy I once had. I don't, have the, I don't have the running I once had in me, right? Maybe you've gotten to that place and you've experienced that same thing also. And, and what I want you to pray for me and what I'm praying for me and what I'm praying for you or maybe you've had some hard season in your life, and it doesn't matter what age you are, it was really hard and it took a lot out of you, and it's hard to get back up after you've had hard stuff happen. Right? And you, you, you just want to kind of check out and watch a while. And so my prayer for you, and it's the prayer I, I want for myself, is that the Holy Spirit would do this work with inside of me, this, this reviving work, right? To press on until I'm called home. To, to, to burn up until we are called home. And that's Paul's prayer as he closes out this section. That's Paul's, that's Paul's desire as he closes out this section, is that he would press on until he gets the upward and final call of Jesus. And so we want God to do a work of perseverance in us so that we press on until we're called up. Let's look at this. Paul is at the pinnacle of his church planting career. He's planted un, you know, untold numbers of churches. He has reached a number of people for the gospel of Jesus Christ that we couldn't possibly count how many believers are in Jesus Christ because of his ministry. Like there's, there's no real way to measure how much success he's had at this point when he's writing this letter. Right? Paul's also the guy that persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. Paul's also the guy that has a partial responsibility for the death of saints. For, people, uh, for the death of, of believers in Jesus. Successful, but also there's some baggage there. Look at it as he gives some pointers as he closes out. I'm going to just hit uh, uh, three things really quickly. The first thing he says, I haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. Now, there was likely some version of perfectionism in the church where, where they thought you could arrive at sinless perfection. But what is Paul's statement? The great church planter. I haven't got it. Yet, I'm not already perfect. But Paul, you've done pretty good. Surely you've earned the chance to hang it up and retire and fish for pleasure, not business, right? Surely you've earned the right to go hang up your Bible somewhere and sit around and kind of just make sure your wounds heal. I haven't obtained it yet. I'm not perfect. I, I, I just think we get to a place where we followed Jesus long enough that it's like, okay, that's enough. I've kind of arrived because there's not big and obvious stuff in my life. I've kind of arrived because I know a bunch of stuff, and so you know what? I, I, I'm good. And Paul's like, uh-uh. Uh-uh. 
We don't make it until we see him face to face and we become like him because we see him as he is. And until then, there's work to do. Until then, there's work to do on us. You will never reach a moment of your life or or a place in your life here where you do not need growth, sanctification, repentance, and faith. You'll never get there. Sometimes we think, man, I'm doing pretty good, especially when I look at you people. And I get to define the you people, so I really feel good about myself. There will never be a season in your life where you don't need work on you. And that the Holy Spirit doesn't need to do work on you. I haven't arrived. Second, I press on till final glory. I press on till final glory. Since I haven't arrived and since I'm not already perfect, one thing I do, I press on. I'm not going to quit because I planted all these churches and I feel pretty good about it. I'm not going to quit because thousands and thousands and thousands of people have come to Christ for me. I'm not going to quit because I have, have seen the highest heaven and I have a thorn in the flesh to prove it. I'm not quitting. I am going to press on until what? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Until I get the crown that I've been longing for, the crown of life, the, the victor's crown, until God puts that on my head and says, well done, I've got work to do. i got work to do on me. I've got work to do because there's people that need my life, ministry, investment around me. And as long as that's the case, because I'm breathing it's the case, I press on until I'm called up. The last thing he says, I'm focused on the future, not the past. I'm focused on the future, not the past. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I'm forgetting the past so that I can focus on the future. The past and its success will shackle you toward to its success. Right? The past will shackle you. Look at these experiences I had with God. Look at these stories I have of God. Look at the growth that I have from God. I'm good. Or, and it happens with churches and ministries all the time, right? I'm shackled by my success. Look how big we got. Look how much money we have in the bank. Look how many people are here, right? We did it this way, and it's always worked, so it must be the right thing to do. And so we're shackled by what we used to be and what we used to do because it's what worked. Success can shackle us. You know what else can shackle us? Shame can shackle us to past failures. Shame can shackle us to our past sins, to where we are now defined by our sin and we're defined by our guilt, and so we have no sense of usefulness in the present and for the future. God can't use me and God can't do anything with me. Don't you know what I've done? Yeah, don't you know Jesus died and rose again? And he didn't do it because you were good enough. He did it for the opposite. And so what we find is that we can be chained by past success and we can be chained by past guilt and failure from doing anything in the present and anything in the future. And Paul says, no, I forget what lies behind. I forget what I did yesterday because there's something to do tomorrow. I forget what I did yesterday because today has something to do for the name of Jesus and Jesus wants to do something in me. I forget what lies behind and I I go for what's ahead until there's nothing else ahead and I'm called up. And so God, would you give us that kind of perseverance? Would you set us free from those shackles that let us freeze in place or feel like we've arrived. Set us free from that. 
few practical things as we wrap up. So what are some earthly gains that still pull at you? What are some earthly gains that still pull, of you, pull at you? Now, there may be some things that you pursue and treasure with your life that are sinful, and you just need to straight repent from them. But I would say that most of the things that kind of just nag and claw at our lives, if we've been in church a decent amount, most of the things that nag and claw at our life are, 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 are neutral things, maybe good things. But they just have stuck a tentacle a little too far into our heart and they, they possess just a little too much. They're, they're a little too valuable to us. And so what are some of those things in your life? It would be a great microgroup discussion to have. It would be a great discussion to have with somebody that's super close to you that, that you're opening your life to. And so what are some of those things that, just, that, that they're gains, right? They're, they're profitable. They've taken a, a too high a value or pre, a treasure in your life. What are some of those things for you? that have gotten your priorities and your values out of whack, and they've kind of pulled the treasure of Jesus down because they've taken the place. Really good things like family. Really amazing things like, you know, work and, and, and success. Really great things like being able to travel or have some degree of comfort and enjoyment at, at the things God's provided. What are some earthly gains that still pull at you? Second, what changes might help you better see and treasure Christ? What changes might help you see and treasure Christ better? Uh, last Wednesday, we talked about the glory of God, and we talked about how it's all around us in the world, and it's all around us in the, in the Word, but we tend to just drive through life in, in uh, auto mode, autopilot, and, and we don't see it. What are some things that you could do to open yourself up to seeing it better. Now, God has to give birth to it, and God has to break into our hearts and lives, but, but can I just start staring? Can I do like the song I said? Can I start waiting for it so that I'm ready when he wants to give it? I'm ready when he wants to show it. And so what changes might help you see in treasure? Yes, you got to pray for it, right? God has to do it. Maybe looking at the value system of your life and evaluating what's going on there would be a great way. Maybe start staring out more and, you know, down less, right? Third, what keeps you from pressing on? What keeps you from pressing on? Is it some deep hurt from some people? Some failure in your life? Sin? Maybe success and things have gone really great. What's keeping you from pressing on? From keeping going with Jesus? And keeping giving your life to make a difference in others for Jesus. What is it? We need a fresh treasuring of Christ. I need a fresh treasuring of Christ. I'm going to ask you to pray for that. I'm add that to your prayer list for me. So I'm praying for you. We need that. It's going to take a new value system. It's going to take this fresh desire to know, really know him. It's going to take some pressing on. Would you pray for that? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, give us, give us hearts that long and thirst for you like the deer for the water brook. Give us that, Father. Help us because we go to wells that are empty and broken cisterns that can't give water, but you're the God of living waters, and, and we won't draw from you. Help us. Help us, Father. Set us free from that, Father. Wake us up from that, Father. We pray for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
So as we come to our time of invitation, saving faith is a treasuring faith. It's not that you believe some facts about Jesus. That won't get you there. It's that this fresh desire and treasure of Jesus is born in your heart that was dead and is now alive. Have you ever seen your sin, turned from your sin, and put your faith in Jesus to save you? If not, come, let's pray together. Fill out the white sheet in your bulletin. Let us, let us talk to you about that, right? But maybe what you see is you see there's been some values out of alignment in your life. You've just been putting ultimate, stu- ultimate status on things that aren't ultimate, that, that don't matter, that aren't the best. Maybe you see ways that your past has been shackling you and chaining you, and you just want to come and like, give that back to God and acknowledge God and ask for God and all of that. Do it. Maybe you want to pray for yourself or pray for me or pray for your family. Have a fresh vision of Christ that leads to a fresh treasuring of Christ. I'm going to invite you to come. Let us to stand now and respond as the Lord is leading us. Let's stand and sing.